This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Magpies Unrestricted. Hello ladies and gents, welcome to Magpies Unrestricted, where we'll be talking all things Newcastle United. I'm your host Chris Simpson, and joining me as always is Cara Thistlethwaite. Hello. And we are joining you listeners after a 5-1 win for Newcastle over Brentford. Fantastic performance from the Magpies. Back-to-back games where we've scored four or more goals, first time since 2001. And the first time we've scored five in a Premier League game since 2016. Yeah, no, an excellent display. I mean... I don't want to take it away from Newcastle by saying that you were kind of gifted three of those goals, but... Yeah, slight caveat. (laughs) Yeah, but it did, you know, you you can argue, and I will argue, that um, it it came from constant pressure from Newcastle. They played very well as a team, and I'm not saying at any point I didn't think Newcastle were going to win. It was quite clear they were the better side, but yes, um, if you take those three goals away, it doesn't look as nice, but... They were kind of. Yeah, I, I, I can't dispute it. Brentford continually shot themselves in the foot in this game. Ethan Pinnock, bless him, own goal, of course, uh, to round out the 5-1 win. And he just had an absolutely shocking day at the office. Yeah. But as you say, there was a, there was a lot of good work in there from us that led to it. You know, Almiron, uh, this was for the uh, fourth goal, uh, you know, Almiron was rewarded there for his pressing. Yeah. Yes, they shot themselves in the foot. They did gift us it. They were trying to, you know, they're playing out from the back and we're pressing them and then they completely just, eyes off the ball. you know. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's still, you know, it's, you. we were still, you know, capitalising on these mistakes. We were there to pounce. I mean, that, um, the second goal, Jacob Murphy making it 2-0. You know, Callum Wilson pouncing on that error. Um, and to be fair to Callum Wilson, you know, he's, he's a prolific striker, obviously got that goal scorer's instinct, but, you know, fair play to him actually. He was very unselfish in picking out Jacob Murphy. That's one of those where he could have easily been a bit greedy and, and chances are probably not actually stuck it away. Yeah, no, exactly. Those those first two goals, obviously the, the brilliant header for Bruno and the, the excellent pass from Wilson to set up Murphy, who literally could not miss from that opportunity and I'm sure he tried um they were two excellent team game uh, team team goals with the trippy across and as I say Callum Wilson on an- yet another error but there's still quite a lot to do most strikers as you say in that position will just try and do it on their own but he had a great sense of where Murphy would be and Murphy had made a great supporting run so I don't want to take that away from either of them yeah but yeah, things looked a little bit dicey when when uh, Tony pulled one back with the penalty. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, th- I think it was pretty harsh on Dan Byrne. It's I, I, as you sort of said to me at the time. It's kind of one of those you know you, you do see it given. Um, I think it was harsh on them. Harsh on them. Like, yeah, his arm was you know he, he was fully up in the air, but you know he wasn't looking at the ball. He was sort of behind him. He had no idea what was happening. So I think that was a bit harsh. But ultimately, you know, we won five one. So. You can't it didn't. Play. It didn't cost us really. So um, you know, thankfully, 
And I mean, what about Bruno? As you say, that that you know, lovely sort of cushioned, sort of semi-diving header from that trippy across to, to open the scoring, and then that awesome, uh, you know, brilliant sort of angled goal into the bottom corner from outside the area. Two really good goals from Bruno. His first of the season, actually. He obviously got, I think, five in the second half of last year uh, season after you know joining in January, of course, and. Just a reminder of what a special player he is on his day. Oh yeah, no, he he's an excellent player, and and I know right at the start we were quite not hesitant. I think we'd seen what had happened with Joel Linton when he initially came to Newcastle, and there was quite a lot of hype about Bruno. Not really too much known by us. I just think it was just a type of league that we don't really follow that he was playing in at the time. Yep. Um, but you know, I don't. I, I, I try to think of a way to describe Bruno because he's not, he's not like, and I don't take this the wrong way, but he's not like a flamboyant player like Rooney, Madison, Grealish. But he's a player that's just always there. So he's a bit like Kante, but not like Kante at the same time. I don't know how to describe it. He's <laughs> just like a really consistent player who you can rely on to be in the correct position or to be in a really useful position for the rest of the team. He just seems to work so well. I, I don't know how else to put what his style of play would be. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly got a lot more about him than, say, a Kante in terms of that creativity. Oh, exactly, exactly. You know, he doesn't necessarily have the tricks of a Sam Maximan. No. But he's so technically gifted. Just the way you see him spreading the ball around his, his vision in the final third. I mean, we saw... Um, last week as well, of course, that that ball over the top for Almiron with that, obviously was the brilliant volley that obviously got all the plaudits, but it was a really nice ball over the top, little sort of dinked, um, sort of through ball from Bruno that he was running onto, and yeah, he just brings so much in the final third. I mean, all over midfield, but especially in that final third, um, said so just sort of so much goal scoring threat and creativity, which. Is something that we'd, we'd sorely needed, to be honest, in midfield. And, and it, obviously, he's been one of the, uh, the biggest um, assets to the team, um, you know, since the Saudis came in, which we'll talk about in a second with the with the anniversary. But you know, as I say, it's, it's been great that it's not just been these new signings like Trippier and and Bruno. The fact that we're seeing Almiron again getting his fourth now Premier League goal of the season—that's equaling his best ever tally. Jack Grealish is still on one goal. But, you know, and you mentioned Joe Winton as I just, well. I just wonder whether this counting will end if Grealish ever does start to beat Almiron. Oh, it will, it will end immediately at that point. <laughs> uh, but until then. <laughs> no, you know, um, yeah, Joe Winton, Almiron, these players that we knew had so much potential. I mean, well, to be fair, I think, like a lot of Newcastle fans, I was starting to doubt how much potential Joe Winton really had to be successful. And I still think if you stuck him back up front, it, it, you know, I don't think he would probably um, work that well because I just don't think he's got that goal scoring sort of uh, instincts about him in the same way you know Callum Wilson does. But the transformations that we've seen in the likes of Joelinton and Almiron under Eddie Howe and the way they've stepped up has been absolutely massive as well. Like as much as everyone can harp on about the new signings. The fact that he's improved the existing players. I mean, again, Jacob Murphy getting on the score sheet today, filling in. 
And not the first time, not the first time that he's been in a decent position, not the first time that he's had a good opportunity, not the first time. And this time time he didn't hit the post. Exactly. I (laughs) mean, he's not the best striker, but you know what I mean? For him to come in, yeah, yeah. and and make that contribution. And then, obviously, what was brilliant from a a Newcastle injury sort of perspective was the fact that then ASM and Joelinton both managed to make it onto the pitch towards the end of the game, Mm. coming off the bench. Uh, Alexander Izak, as was sort of expected, is is still out, so we're still waiting on on his return. But yeah, the fact that ASM and Joelinton coming off the bench again give them another week. Hopefully, uh, they'll be back and ready to start. You know, come next week's game, which we'll get to um, in a moment. But first, you know, I, th- I think it's it's worth considering just how far Newcastle have come. Obviously, this win came a year and a day after the takeover was confirmed. And, you know, Newcastle have come such a long way in the interim. Exactly. I mean, when you were taken over, 19th in the table, three points from seven games and finished 11th after 12 wins in the final 18 games. So it did take us a while to get there. Um, Made some actual signings. (laughs) And some, yeah, some really good signings as well. I mean, as we mentioned before, Bruno and Trippier, obviously they're the two that, you know, so at the moment, they're the two biggest ones in terms of uh, the most impactful, of course. But Matt Target having an actual left back, uh, left back, yep. no longer having to force Matt Ritchie out of position. Yeah, Dan Burns been really solid at the back, and he can cover on the left. Nick Pope's been pretty good for us again. I don't think that was an area where we desperately actually needed reinforcement because I think Dubravka was um, solid enough. But you know, Nick Pope's a good goalkeeper, and. Two players who obviously we're still waiting to really see the best of them, of course, but two players with enormous reputation and potential in Sven Botman and Alexander Izak. You know, in terms of the potential they've got, again, could become just as impactful as the likes of Bruno and Trippier could really, really make a name for themselves in this team. So. Yeah, in just so, so much enormous positivity around the club. And, and not just around the players as well, but also the fans. Because for a long time, the Magpie fans have just been... Mm, how do I say this? I don't know. <laughs> your typical Northern Salpus. <laughs> With good reason. I'm not saying there wasn't a good reason. But for a long time, I think that kind of became ingrained with the the all-suffering Newcastle fan. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you look at the the Mike Ashley era and even though you could possibly, I mean, don't get me wrong, things were incredibly grim. Obviously, the first, well, both times we went down. Uh, the second time in particular, you know, with Steve McLaren, I mean, God, what a, what an appointment he was. Um, and then there have been some brief bits of positivity with, the 2011-12 season, incredibly under Alan Pardew, where we finished fifth. And obviously, although things weren't necessarily super, super fun on the pitch, um, Rafa Benitez, the fact that things really still picked up under him in terms of just how much he managed to get out of, let's face it, a pretty lackluster Mm -hmm. squad, uh, some of the results he was able to get. And just, again, comparing him to what had sort of gone before, how you know just having such a, a higher caliber of manager and you know obviously he's he's a really great guy as well but then that Steve Bruce era arguably even though we didn't actually ever get relegated under him I mean we flirted with it a lot 
He's and just I, got fired again, actually. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah in other news, <laughs> listeners, Steve Bruce getting fired uh, from his West Brom job. <laughs> Safely took them to tenth in the championship last season. They were fifth when he took over, and yeah, pretty pretty woeful start to this season as well. Sorry, Steve, but uh, you know maybe it wasn't the Newcastle fans just being mean after all. But yeah, I mean, ar- arguably that was actually like, even though we didn't get relegated, I think we, I mean, we would have eventually, probably last season if if Eddie Howe hadn't have come in. But that arguably was really the the nadir of the Mike Ashley area, and that's saying something. When you got relegated twice, you know what I mean. But it, it was just so grim, kind of on and off the pitch. And then that has been, you know, it's been a complete one eighty since then. You know, can't pretend it's not been incredibly fun in terms of that stuff. But obviously, unfortunately, and I wish I didn't have to do this, but we do have to caveat it with the fact that you know we still can't forget where this has come from. We can and should be demanding better from these owners. Um, I mean, how much? I can't imagine Newcastle fans are going to have a meaningful impact on um, Saudi's uh, domestic policy. But mm. we could—you've at least got that ability to say, "Well, look, you know, we've said that we're not happy with uh, this, this, and this, and we've at least done our part for however little that might be worth." And I think, I think that is still worth something personally uh, to me. Because at the end of the day, you know that it, I say it's, it's really hard because you know they've done and con- and I'm sure will continue to do from a purely you know running the Newcastle um, you know on and off the pitch perspective, they've so far done a pretty incredible job, um, and you know that I think they're going to do a lot for the local community as well as Man City's owners have done, um, you know, in the communities around the Etihad and and so on. But you know, there's a reason they're doing it. It's not out of the goodness of their hearts. Like it's, it, it is quite the opposite. And I think we do need to recognise and be aware of that. You know, it, look, at the end of the day, I still support Newcastle. I can't help that. I'm not saying you know we don't support the team and, and that we don't try and get the enjoyment because I said it's been so fun. We've got such a likable team now on the pitch. Mm-hmm. We've got a really good manager who's doing a really good job. All this sort of stuff. Um, and it, and I say for me, it's just that real shame that we have to then caveat it. I mean, um, obviously, to mark the takeover, uh, Chairman Yasser Al Rumian uh, wrote a letter to the fans thanking them for the support. Obviously, reiterated the club's long-term objective of winning domestic and European trophies, um, as if you know we, we kind of knew that was the case. But he was just sort of reiterating that as well. Um, and obviously, it again, it's really nice that we have a club. That's got that ambition again because we didn't have it for 15 years. Mm. You know, we went from sort of Champions League and UEFA Cup regulars, and obviously for a little bit in the 90s, title challengers, but, um, you know, certainly a team that would have ambitions towards the top end of the table, even if post, you know, one a couple of seasons in the 90s, we weren't really in the title conversation. We were a team that had ambition, we were a team that wanted to do these things, and then, you know, we haven't had that. Um, so it, it, you know, it is nice, but it's just, it's just that big asterisk hanging over everything. Um, and again, I mean, Eddie Howe. Again, we've spoken about this before. Of course, he's in a tricky position. He's not exactly going to come out and slam the people who you know pay his wage bill. And in terms of the Newcastle job at the moment, if you, if you separate the ownership issue, who wouldn't 
kind of want to be in charge of us at the moment in terms of, again, the ambition, where this club's going, where the team's at at the moment. You know, I think I think very few managers on a, on a purely footballing standpoint, apart from the very, very top ones who obviously just want to be challenging for titles right now, you know, there aren't many managers who, who, who I don't think would at least consider, you know, wanting to manage Newcastle at uh, the state we're in at the moment. But at the same time, you know, he's still talking about not really answering the questions because it's not a special subject for him and, you know, that he doesn't feel like he has the knowledge and, and the comf- you know, that he doesn't feel comfortable. It's like... That normally doesn't stop people talking about something that they know jack all about. But... Yeah, and, and, and to be fair, <laughs> I think more people in public life should should, should <laughs> do that. When, when they don't know enough about a subject, they should put their hand up and say, you know what, I don't know enough about it to really comment. But it's However, a very convenient excuse now. Exactly. <laughs> and that might have, might have, what, well, I didn't really watch the first time with us, as if you, if you listen back, listeners. But again, he said something, I think it was in March, he, bas- he, he said that he was educating himself on these issues. And as I said, it's, you know, really, he's had a full year to kind of read up on this stuff. It doesn't, take a lot. I mean, literally an hour or two on Google and you can get a pretty good idea. You don't have to know every in and out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I I don't I don't like him coming out and saying that. Again, I know he's in a tricky position. I don't, I'll be honest, I don't really know what I'm expecting him to come out and say, listeners, but <laughs> I feel like he could maybe, I feel like he could handle that bit a bit better. But again, in terms of what he's doing on the pitch, I can't for him. And he, you know, I mean, I do like Eddie Howe. I, th- I think he, again, <laughs> compared to Steve Bruce, and I know I've, even just setting aside everything about the way the team played under Steve Bruce, I, I genuinely don't think he actually conducted himself that well with a lot of the, you know, the attacks that he made on like the local press and all these sorts of, sorts of things. Mm. Um, so, you know, and I, I, I think Eddie Howe has done a better job in that sense. Um, and ultimately, he is just a football manager the owners should be the ones who are answering questions. And I don't just mean Amanda Staveley, who you know, only owns actually about 10% of the club. It's PIF who own 80%. Mm. And then, you know, we're never, probably never going to hear anything. And I think that is something that needs to change. It's not almost certainly not going to change. They're not going to come and answer difficult questions from the British press, but they should. Um, that That's my bit. <laughs> Anywho, next match is Man United. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting test, actually, isn't it, against Man United? I just hope it's fashion. I actually could not care about anything other than you beating Man United. Oh, <laughs> well, oh God, I was about to channel Kevin Keegan then, so I would love it if we beat them. Obviously, I want us to smash them as well. Um, but as I say, I think it, it's going to be an interesting test of where we're at, basically, because we've obviously had a really good start to the season, which is now finally being borne out in the results on the pitch. Even if uh, you know some goals were <laughs> gifted to us in the last game, <laughs> we're finally kind of getting the results that our performances have warranted. You know, we're flying high. We've got two great wins under our belt last couple of games. Got your um, ASM and Jolinton back. So some of your injuries, not all of them, but some of them. Your main players, anyway, are hopefully back. Yeah, we're largely just waiting on on Isaac now. I suspect at best he will be on the bench. But again, at the time of recording, we don't know listeners, but I'd be very surprised if he was back in time to start this game. But as you said, ASM and Jolinton, two massive additions back in the team. And But as I say, in terms of Man United, well, 
first of all, also worth noting, and I, 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 I do enjoy being able to say this, we've been better than them at both ends. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I, I had a joke and then I decided to not use it, so that was what the hesitation was. Okay, but back to the, the actual information. <laughs> 17 scored and 9 conceded, which for Newcastle is amazing anyway. Um, but and then compared to their 13 goals scored and 15 conceded, and uh, Newcastle have played one more game overall. So I think, yeah, you aren't solid at the back at the moment, but much better than what... Um, Man United are, and as long as Newcastle come out and play in their face, Man United have never liked that. They especially don't this season. They've been poor at the start. Yes, they've done better. Well, that, um, and that, and that's where I think it it becomes this interesting challenge because I mean, yeah, Man United were were pretty awful, you know, first few games, and obviously they were well, obviously they they salvaged a couple of consolation goals towards the end, but they were pretty abject in that six three defeat to Man City, but. Surrounding that game, they won the four league games in a row before it, and then obviously they beat Everton two one on Sunday night. So, setting the City game aside for a moment, because obviously, with the greatest will in the world, I don't think we're going to blow them away like Man City did, um, especially you know in, in that first half. Yeah, it's that's where I think it's that interesting test where United have at least picked up. Mm. I'm don't get me wrong. I wish that they were still doing it awfully because <laughs> that would obviously boost our chances. But and also the fact that you know we don't have that great record at Old Trafford. You know we, we've we've not won there since 2013. We've not drawn there since 2015. So although we're in great form, we're still going to be up against it. It's still going to be a good test of where we are actually at right now as a team in terms of just yeah we've had a great start, but is it just a patch of form? Or or are we the kind of team that can can take it to a Man United again? Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Newcastle. Worse are, teams than us have got better results against them this season. Yeah, but. I don't think Newcastle are, are having having a, a, a patch, a good patch. I, I think they've been good all season. I just think they've been unlucky and just haven't been able to get over the line on a lot of matches. So I don't think it is. Or we're just having a, a good a good stretch of, of games. I think they've been good overall. I think Man United have been generally poor overall, but they've managed to get those those wins. So it's almost like two sides of the same coin. But yeah, I mean, is it on the telly? Yeah, so I, th- I think it's a shame that it's it's not going to be on TV. But um, as I say, it's going to be a pretty fascinating one nonetheless to see how we deal with this trip to Old Trafford. Because as I say, although you know, worse teams than us have and will get results there this season. Still, that slight hoodoo about going there and getting something. As I say, we, you know, we don't have the best record there historically. Um, you know, we, we generally when we do tend to get good results against Man United, they tend to be St James's Park. So, again, yeah, it, it's going to be um, hopefully a really good game. Hopefully, a really good result for Newcastle. I don't think it's going to be a nil-nil. <laughs> no, I don't think it will be, especially if Harry Maguire plays. <laughs> I'm sorry, Harry. I don't have anything against you. Anyway. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week to see how Newcastle have got on and hopefully be able to report a positive result against the Red Devils. In the meantime, if you could please give the podcast a like and subscribe and uh, give us a positive review, that would be amazing. And we've been Magpies Unrestricted. I've been your host, Chris Simpson. Thanks, Cara. No problem. And thank you, listeners. Bye. Bye.
This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts.